all he does is catch the football. That's, that is beautiful. That's why I came to West Virginia, man. Ding dong, the witch is dead in Arizona. This is a totally energized Heinz Field, the power of the Renegade song. The backyard brawl, man, against Pitt. Look at that. Oh, there's Rob Wolfley. Wow! They came after Donovan McNabb, went after him. They played to win the game. Everybody's going bonkers, even the referees. Oh, those, those look like some sticky gloves right there. We talk about 50-50. Right now it's 50-50. Who's going to get it? Game came with cover zero. Man across the board. Pick up a flag because, hey, and then with the Renegade song, even flags don't count. He's going to get an Italian army behind him right there, just like Franco Harris. My goodness, that is pure guts. Give me a pepperoni roll, man. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Three Wolves of Football, the boys from Orchard Park, the Outsiders. Welcome, and please join me, Wolfman Dale Wolfley, with my brother's eldest, Craig. I always very acknowledge you. I always worry if you're going to acknowledge or not. But and then you got Ronnie Paul Pony Boy. So, fellas, uh, Derry, how are we doing tonight? Oh, we're doing just fantabulous. Had a little Chipotle's, my boys, huh? You know, it's great. I love when you get Chipotle, you know, because then you just get that big old bowl of stuff and you get crammed everything in there with chicken and steak and all kinds of stuff. And then you just have at it, man. It's fun because you get a little muddy while you're eating dinner. (laughs) You always get the plate. Is that what you do? Oh, yeah. I get the bowl. I don't go with the the wrap anymore. It's too hard because it it, like usually I get it packed so much it blows out of the, the, the fajita or whatever the thing you call it. Right. So then you got all this stuff like pouring out of your burrito and you're trying to eat that thing and you're missing it is running down your chin and everything. So I, I like the bowl. Cause then it's, you don't quite get the flood of muddiness that you get. Otherwise. <laughs> well, there's two things about the bowl. Number one is you can shovel. Okay. Sure. So that's just like shovel sure. right from bowl right. to mouth. And number two is when you got a burrito, man, it just makes life difficult. All that stuff, it just makes a mess. Makes life difficult when you eat the size burritos that we do. Yeah. Good work. Yeah, just don't put guacamole all over it, okay? Just don't do that, all right? Honestly. You've got to be kidding me. You can't have a burrito without guacamole. No, Craig. Why would you you dump that green stuff that looks like barf all over it? It's the glue that keeps everything together in there, man. Okay, that's enough. That's, That's enough for the food talk. All right. Well, it's good to see you this week, fellas. Good to see you're in a great mood. And uh, we just want to thank all of uh, the people that actually join us on a weekly basis because uh, apparently, there, Derry, you haven't sucked yet. Okay. So people are going to enjoy what you're saying. And, Pony Boy, I wouldn't be laughing too hard either because apparently you haven't sucked either. All right. So, I mean, it's job one. Job one. You're doing a good job. Job one is don't suck. Okay. There you go. Oh, I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and get this baby kicked up. I've been waiting for a few days for this because we always talk about the Mulgan. And this week, Pony Boy, this is on you, man. This is, a this is do you want to have a do-over, a do-over, or would you like to double down and stay with what you got? Um, 
you know what? I, I, I'm going to double down and stay with what I got, Soda Pop. Okay. Now, this is a few years ago, and I saw Dave Pash, your your broadcast partner, put this out on your birthday to wish you a happy 60th birthday. So, obviously, this is from a different time. Oh, the the original greaser, the original outsider, the pony boy with a lung dart and an earring. Look, I was going through some difficult times. I think you guys know that. Um, yes. What's the so what? I'm doubling down on that right there. I mean, listen. I got teenagers walking around here, all right? <laughs> you were part of a lost and restless generation, my brother. <laughs> yeah, by the way, uh, Soda Pop, I do remember backing out of a couple of places with you <laughs> as well. well. My brother, now you have to wait because that is coming up because this next part <laughs> is... You know, the Wolfley vocabulary has always been something that has never been stable. Let's just put it that way. There's never been a constant. The new words come in, new words leave, whatever you have, analogies, whatever it might be. So I want you, Pony Boy, because you are Pony Boy the Greaser this week, and you doubled down and you wanted it. I want you to tell me about the box on the football field. Well, first of all, <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's kind of like a pool hall on a Saturday night. That's what it is. The box, of course, is nothing more than a barroom brawl on a Saturday night. And anyone who's ever played on the line of scrimmage, you know exactly the way that it gets, man. And I'm talking about, as a fullback, how physical the box was, especially back in 1985 when I first came into the league where everything was ISO and power, ISO and power. The box is still a very dangerous place in the National Football League. And um, it's one of those things that I think is beautiful uh, or maybe a combination of beautiful and brutal, which would be brutal. That's a big word. That's a highly, te- that's a highly technical term, you see. That is, well, Derry. Someone with that played back in the day, the Steelers, when all they did was trap and trap and, and dive. What was the box, the bar room, like for you? It was just as Ronnie described it. I mean, you're in there from tackle to tackle, five yards deep on each side of the line of scrimmage. And it was always especially joyful when you played the Bears when they first broke out the Bear 46. Because then you've got about, oh, you've, you've got probably – Six, fifteen, sixteen people in the same area of a as, as your living room. Okay, then you're just going at it, and everybody's in there jammed in, you know. And you're double. You can't really double team anybody because it's mano a mano type of thing, you know. And so you might reach over and just grab a face mask here or punch somebody over here because everybody's so close. You might as well, you know. I mean, just go ahead and close your eyes and, and throw and, and and go straight ahead and hit somebody because you're always going to hit somebody in the in the box. It's what it is. That was truly incredible, Soda Pop, when the Bear defense came into the National Football League in 1985. Remember that. I believe it was 85 that they actually came in. And Buddy Ryan, of course, that was one of the first times that somebody was actually an old front. It was a front from the 1940s that Buddy Ryan just gave life to, brought it back. And suddenly it wreaked havoc. 
with the rest of the National Football League for about two years. I want to say two years. Year three, I think they caught up to it. But, man, for the first two years, Buddy Ryan used that defense. It wreaked havoc. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. And really, it's a seven-man box because you have the two ends on the outside and three defensive interior linemen and two middle backers. And college, even in college today, that's still one of the more popular ways to go a 4-6 defense with the man-free look to stop the run in college ball. So it still is applied today. It still is a pressure package situation. Yeah, it is. But back when I was playing, it was an eight-man front, guys. Well, there's eight men, but also the offensive guys on the other side. So you're talking about all these people crammed in, huge people crammed into an extremely small place, you know, and then it's it's like uh, bumper cars. I mean, oh, everybody's just, it's a five, it's a, it's a 13, 14 car pileup in the Fort Pitt tunnels, you know, in the parkway here. I mean, it's just, that's just one of those things where you're not moving a whole lot. And that's why, you know, you got to run the traps that, you know, the pin and pull series, you got to throw the ball to the outside because they go one-on-one, you know, they'll play man out there. And so you got to get it to your outside and you get it out of there. Cause there's nothing moving on the inside. Yep. Oh, so true. And here's the best thing of it all going back to the, the mulligan of what you doubled down on it, because I can remember, Pony Boy, at that time, you may have had a cigarette in your mouth when you were doing this. I don't even remember. Okay, You may have had one, but I remember going back-to-back with you out of one of those establishments and going, and you, and you, and you. Be careful. Hoopy's going to watch this. All the way down. Mom, it's been a long time, and we haven't backed our way out of a place in a very long time. That's all you need to know. Listen to the instigator over here, right? I know, jamming me in the eye. That was some wonderful stuff uh, a long time ago and uh, something to laugh about now that we can barely remember. But although, so I will say this right here. you guys know I, have, I haven't had a cigarette in so long. Um, I, I don't do any tobacco whatsoever. Um, let, let me just say, though, every time I have a cup of coffee, I still want to fire one up. Okay, that's it. <laughs> you have teenagers, man. I'm just, I'm just saying. I okay. don't do it. I haven't done it. I'm well, that's why, hey, that's why we support Artisan Grange. Uh, switch to hemp, just the dip. Wow, that was good. Boy, that was unplanned. Way to go, Dan. I was that did not I was not ready for that. Hey, now Derek, let's try something different. Let's, let's just say this too, fellas. We just make this statement. We've all had a little bit of rough of uh rough times in our past, right? But you know what? When Jesus gets hold of your life, it changes things. It changed us. So just Amen. know, yeah, we are not what we used to be by the grace of God. Okay. Amen, just bro. so you know. Right. And if you don't don't like it, if you don't like it, you want to brawl? Is that what you want to do? Because I know (laughs) I'm a bull. I don't care. You're talking to me. Are you you talking to me? (laughs) If we were in the same room right now, everybody would be chest bumping and banging on each other and everything. We're joking, of course. Of course. Okay. Sort of. Kind of. A little bit. (laughs) Now, Derry. Because this is a three whoops of football, we want to expand about all the things that we've experienced in our life. And 
we, we've all had some opportunities to meet some people. And what I want to call this new thing that we talked about earlier was a brush of greatness because there's not a whole bunch of greatness around here. So when we brush <laughs> up against it, we certainly remember it. So why don't you, Derry, tell us about your brush with greatness with a certain wild dude, rock and roll, oh. guitar playing, Stevie Ray Vaughn. Man, I was so blessed to meet this dude way back in the 80s. You know, I, I really I, I really got into playing. I used to play a little guitar, played with some bands around here in Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, uh, it was just a lot of fun, you know. And, and I got into the history of the blues and all of a sudden had an opportunity to meet Stevie Ray Vaughan. And what a blessing to meet this gentleman. He was just an amazing bluesman, an, an unbelievable guitar player. Very kind, gentle soul, too. You know, I mean, just one of those guys that, you know, his music was everything. And it was, he ended up uh, tragically dying, of course, in a, in a helicopter crash. But, you know, it, just sitting and talking with him was just such a cool thing because he was just he was not ta- he was not uh, overwhelmed with himself by any means. He was just a guy that, you know, had come up in Texas and and loved the blues. And, uh, you know, he had, had a, he played like, uh, you know. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, it was just uh, great stuff. And uh, it was a real pleasure to meet him. He was just awesome on stage, man. He'd play behind his head, behind his back. I mean, just great stuff. Didn't you actually get up on stage with him, Craig? Didn't you actually not, do that? Not with Stevie Ray. No, oh, okay. I, yeah, I was. I actually opened with um, uh, a blues group here in Pittsburgh, and we played in uh, b- with uh, before Dr. John from New Orleans came up on stage. Okay. And that was that was terrifying for me because you know as the one as the one guy said he goes you look like you're strangling your guitar because I was so scared and nervous <laughs> you, know? you know and it looked ah! you know I mean it was yeah you know, I wasn't as 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 a guitarist I had a fine future as a former football player. <laughs> well, since we're going backwards and talking about those times yes. in our life, do you remember when Derry would be like he's like hey. Come on down here. I want you to watch us. Remember this pony boy? He'd be like, I want you to come here and watch this, watch me do this lick here right, on the guitar. And he'd come down and he'd be like staring right at you in the eyes. And, oh, and yes. remember, he was challenging you to say, Go ahead, you suck, man. I dare you to say <laughs> I know watch, you remember it was that. like it was like this. Watch this. <laughs> the intensity, man. It was the oh. intensity of the blues coming out. That's what you it was. had the intensity eyes, brother, and that's what defensive uh, for you for all you. those years, man. So that's why it, it used to freak me out, man. Woo! I'll tell you what. I was you guys remember, you know what? I had like 13 guitars downstairs. I mean, I had all totally. kinds of It was crazy. And you, you know what? Professional, you, man. you were a professional guitar player at the time. But as we're going to keep on with this professionalism, we're going to keep moving on here. And this week, you know, turned out to be the special national tight ends day and i had never even heard about it but go ahead fellas tell me about national tight ends you, you see it here with kittle gotta go with kelsey and yeah, i know you played with all these great players and my question is is why in the heck don't they have a national hogs day or a fullback i mean a fullback gets very little respect they're Kelsey, 45 across midfield. Hurts. Yeah, you know, um, listen, uh, first of all, Travis Kelsey is not a tight end. He's a wide receiver. He just lines up and, um, you know, gets in the way, I think, a lot of the times. George Kittle, George Kittle is the real deal. Let me tell you right now, to me, 
That is the best tight end in the football universe. It's not even close. And I'm not trying to be mean to Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is, in my opinion, the best tight end when it comes to receiving, you know, in running after the catch. When it comes to those two things, I think Travis Kelsey is is the best. But George Kittle, when you take the the responsibilities of a tight end, the ability to run the ball, the ability to um, run after the catch and be a receiver as well. George Kittle, to me, is by far and away the best tight end in the game. I will give you a name, and you're going to want to follow this guy and, 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 and as he grows, but Pat Fryermuth, the Muth, as they call him in Pittsburgh. This guy here, he's an excellent combination of inline tight end. You know, he's got the pass-catching ability, and he's a blocker. Uh, I, I like this kid a lot. He's going to be – a matter of fact, it's pretty good because they got two tight ends here in Pittsburgh. One with – the other guy is Zach Gentry. We call him uh, 6'12 because <laughs> he's about 6'8". Yeah. yeah, and I, I just want to say quickly, too, as we all know in the NFL, 11 personnel is the personnel group and rundown situation right now that right. the vast majority of teams in the National Football League use. First and 10, second and 1 to 6, 11 personnel, one back, one tight end, three wide receivers. That's the way the NFL is right now at the moment. And if you actually have a tight end who is a dual threat, a guy that can block and hold up at the point of attack, as well as release into a route and catch the ball, man, that gives your offense a huge advantage in my way of thinking. And George Kittle certainly does that for the 49ers. You know, speaking of this on my level of the college, watching the college game, they don't use the tight end enough. I think they're starting to come around. I've seen it more and more this year, but I've been out there tweeting for the last two to three years about because nobody defends the tight end in college. They don't defend it, and and they're there if you just stay constant with it. And the teams like Notre Dame that have great tight ends, okay, they stick with it, and it pays dividends for him because the tight end can be just as effective in the college game as it is in the NFL. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. But I will also say this. I think we're going to at the point of a little bit of a comeback with the 12 personnel. You start harking back to the days of Bill Belichick running with, uh, you know, Gronk and Hernandez. That type of offense was pretty special when you get those two special guys. Yeah, the NFL, once again, the football pendulum swung all the way over to the new era. Here it is, 11 personnel, 10 personnel. We're going to throw the ball. It's come back to the middle right now, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing a lot more 12. That's not a bad point. Now, here's something that's very current this week topic. As you see, Aaron Rodgers, a couple of weeks ago, threw for his 500th touchdown, joining the club of Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. You know, there's only five of them uh, totally to make those throws. But what is your opinion now? He goes on the Pat McAfee show, and he's on that show in a weekly spot. So this is not like he just went on the show. He's at a weekly spot on the Pat McAfee show. But he airs out some dirty laundry with the locker room talk. It's saying that some guys need to be benched. Some guys are are uh, double-digit misassignments, which we all know is if you're doing that, you should not be playing. Uh, but at the same time, do you go on a Pat McAfee-type show and air your locker room dirty laundry? Well, let's, let's remember, he already talked about 
those things going on when he was, uh, you know, I, I, I presume that he was a, well, all for Mike McCarthy being ousted, you know, I, 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 Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers and he's going to say and do what he wants up there. And obviously, um, I, in my own opinion, we used to have a sign in the locker room at three rivers, what you see here, what you say here, what you do here stays here when you leave here. And I think, I believe in the sanctity of the four walls of the locker room and what's said in there and what's done in there, because sometimes, you know, things happen, you know, people get honked at each other. And you don't need to be spreading gossip or anything like that around. Things happen, you know, but the sanctity of the locker room should remain sanctified. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not going to disagree with anything you said, Craig. Um, you know, if you're naming names, though, that's where it really crosses the line. I, I don't know exactly if Aaron Rodgers named names. He did not. Um, he he okay, just he did not. That's a great point, though. You're making that to me is where you've got to be able to tell the truth, guys. You have to be able to tell the truth. You got to tell the truth um, about yourself first, and then you can tell the truth about what you think is going on inside your locker room. I I think Aaron Rodgers has earned that respect that he is going to go ahead and tell the truth where you need to fix things. Um, You know, um, I'm sure that Aaron Rodgers has approached many of his teammates on a one-on-one basis and had a accountability meeting, so to speak, face-to-face. Hey, you've got to do this. You've got to do A, B, and C. And hopefully it was effective from the standpoint that Aaron Rodgers keeps himself and holds himself to a standard he won't even apply to anybody else. If you do that, that's the best kind of leader you can have in any locker room. A guy that leads by holding himself accountable first and then he's willing to walk up on others and say, what are you doing? Um, he's got that kind of credibility, I think, right now. And as long as he didn't name names and he told the truth about what is going on in there, I got no problem with it. Okay. So I agree with both of you. But I'm going to say this. If I'm going to do that and go spill the beans, I think I'm probably going to do it on home turf. Probably got to stay right there and say that where I'm in the locker room right there with them, not going to the Pat McAfee show, not going to spill it out there nationally down that way. That's just me. That's the way I think about it. Uh, You know, please, it's okay. I understand. I won't be upset if you disagree with that, but you're right about not naming names. And that would be critical if he did, I think. But I think locker rooms, locker room, man. And, you know, that's what coaches are supposed to do. Bench people that are making double digit missed assignments. But, Regardless, we'll leave that one alone. We'll continue on here, Pony Boy, because you did you did have a great game uh, for the Cardinals, uh, to the Saints there. And with that speaking, let's go ahead and give you this highlight. And we thank the Pash Man here for calling it. In the middle, the ball is tipped into the air and picked off at the 30-yard line. Running left to the 20, Marco Wilson to the 10. He high steps, and then he does a flip into the end zone for the touchdown. Marco Wilson with a pick six. Boy, that was awesome. Picks there for the Cardinals. The defense seemed to really step up. Uh, It was great to have DeAndre Hopkins come back. They made a big deal about it. He certainly seemed, I watched him mic'd up on him. Well, he's really impressive, man. And you've been talking about him for years and and how much of an impact and a leader he really is. Uh, Go ahead and tell us about the Saints game because that's a game where the Cardinals are struggling to find themselves. Yeah, no doubt, uh, Soda Bob. First of all, Dave Pash, his nickname, boys, is Il 
Bahadal, okay? <laughs> Il Bahadal, which means the bird. Did I tell you this before? You He's did. the bird. Just so you right. oh, he's, he's so thin, right? He's the bird. Anyways, okay, that's Dave Pash, just for future reference. I'm going to say um, that one more time, okay? Okay, Il Pajaro. Pajaro. Pajaro, okay? Listen, um, the Arizona Cardinals needed that win. That felt like a must-win, guys. It really did because 2-5, and five, huge difference between 2-5 and five and 3-4. and four. Um. They made some plays. Their defense stood up first and foremost. Um, They scored 14 points in this game. Back-to-back pick sixes within the last two minutes of the first half. Stop and think about that, guys. When have you seen back-to-back pick sixes? Um, It it went from a close game to suddenly they were up 28-14 at that point in time. And the offense was so much better. Um, Not great, not exceptional, but so much better than what we have seen because of DeAndre Hopkins coming back. And one other thing I want to say, too, Antonio Hamilton is the third corner for the Arizona Cardinals. You got Byron Murphy, you got Marco Wilson, and then Antonio Hamilton. Antonio Hamilton had a pick when it was 7-3. to It was 7-3. to He had a pick in his own end zone, okay? So Andy Dalton had moved the Saints down the field through a post over the middle of the field. Antonio Hamilton turned around in his first game back from burning his feet in a grease fire, if you can imagine this. And he came back and made that pick. That that took three or seven points off the board as well. So not only did the defense score 14 points, but they also prevented a field goal or a touchdown as well in that situation. Guys, that's a 17 to 21 point swing. Was the offense better? Yes, it was better with DeAndre Hopkins coming back. But man, that defense stepped up to the plate and knocked it out of the park. I'd also like to say, hey, uh, high five, a shout out to Edo Benjamin too, because I think that cat has been filling a role uh, that, it, you know, being, I think he's two or three, right? And number of where he's at. And he's, he's five, five, nine, and he's uh, uh, really playing well. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to see. I love him. He's kicked off. He made a tackle on special teams. The dude's doing a lot for the Cardinals. No, you're right about that. You know, Benjamin, no doubt, Soda Pop. Uh, he's the number three running back in that room right now. You got James Conner and you got Daryl Williams. Both those guys are banged up, though. And, you know, Benjamin stepped up in a huge way. But I just want to say this about D-Hop quickly, guys. DeAndre Hopkins coming back, 14 targets in the game by Kyler Murray. 14 targets. He had 10 receptions for 103 yards. Um, okay, didn't score a touchdown, but still immediately, the difference this guy makes in this offense, this offense has been struggling horrifically without DeAndre Hopkins. He comes back without any practice, guys. Wasn't out on the field because it was a Thursday night. He comes back, and it's all walked through the whole week. He goes out on Thursday night, and that's what he does. That's how good he is. He's not a run-by receiver, yet he's a down-the-field threat because 50-50 balls are more like 80-20 balls with D-Hop. He's not a great runner of routes. He's not. 
Um, but all he does is get open, seemingly get open, even though he doesn't run technically great routes. Um, he's not great after the catch. He's not a great runner after the catch, yet guys miss him for whatever reason. They miss him. DeAndre, De, DeAndre Hopkins as well, um, his leadership. Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, I'm sure you guys saw it, jaw to jaw going at it on the sideline, big blow up on the sideline. And there was DeAndre Hopkins right in the middle of that, put his arm around Kyler when he was standing there in between his coaches. That's who Hop is. He might get to the end product, guys, a little bit differently than we might, but we're standing in the same room with him at the end of the day, if you know what I mean. No doubt about it. And he's just fun to watch, period. And that was a pretty impressive uh, performance uh, Thursday night. But now, Derry, let's go to the Steelers. You know, tough against Miami. I mean, you know, Tua came out on fire. And then the Steelers put the brakes on there. And uh, here's a highlight in your game. And let's break it down for us after. Shoulder throw. You get Pickens. Mono, Imano with Iggy. He goes up high. Two hands. Takes that ball, snatches it with strong hands, and able to come down inbounds. That's a beautiful job. And for George Pickens, his first career touchdown as a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, that was just a thing of beauty, as Tunch Ilkin used to say. To watch him be able to acrobatically dance his way along the sidelines and toe tap, going out of bounds there. That was just a great job of being strong. Uh, high point the ball and being able to catch it with two strong hands. You know, Derry, real quickly, I think this is the next best player in the NFL. I think as you I, mean, I really right. do. Every week he does something different to absolutely, I say, wow. Yeah, he's got a wow factor to him. You know, it's funny because Ronnie was talking about the fact there's a big difference between two and five and three and four. Yeah, we're two and five now. Steelers, <laughs> two and five, and there is. But I will say this, you know, Tua came out and it was interesting to me because there was the backdrop of Tua with his head injuries. Can he pick it coming back from being concussed the week before? I wondered how this was all going to play out. Well, it certainly played out big for both teams because both were major contributors. Tua came out and uh, he just got everybody going. You know, he is tremendous with that play action. He does a really good job of Playing, you know, play action with the ball. He's left-handed, so the first couple series, you're already defensively at a disadvantage because he's left-handed. So he's looking opposite side of the field, such as a right-handed quarterback would be. Everything's a little bit backwards, you know what I mean? So then they settled in and they started to strangulate him. But it was already they had run up ten points after the first quarter, and the Steelers got back on it and they started to move the ball. But then they had interceptions. And Kenny had three. Uh, the Steelers secondary dropped four four opportunities to intercept the ball. And anytime you are presented with takeaway opportunities that you do not take advantage of, there's some sort of football bad mojo karma that comes around and kabonks you. And, you know, the other team gets the benefit of of what you didn't accept. And so when you don't do that, you generally, you lose. And unfortunately for the Steelers, they did. But I'll say this. And, Dale, you're very right about Pickens. Pickens may well be the next big thing coming out. I'll say this also about Kenny Pickett. The kid played fearlessly. I love it. You know, he was 
Uh, he was 32 of 44, 257. He had three interceptions, one TD. He's a young guy. You know, he had an interception, uh, two interceptions late in the fourth quarter as he's leading the team. You know, he led drives up 13 plays, 12, 12, and 10. All right, you're rolling the chains. You're getting some offense rolling. They got to put it in the end zone. They got to finish drives. But, you know, I love the fact that Kenny is not afraid. He will go full forward, man, and he throws that ball hard. And nothing says it better than on that last 10-play drive as they're driving with under two minutes to go on a fourth and six. This kid goes back coolly, stands in the pocket. He doesn't throw it. The easy one to um, Pickens on a little curl route. He doesn't go the other side to Deontay on an out route. He goes to Pat Fryermuth on a fourth and six, 21 yards right down the middle in a window about that big. He jammed that ball in, and they caught the ball. And it's unfortunate that it ended in an interception and so forth and in that, but it's a learning experience for Kenny. This kid's going to be good. Pickens going to be good. That duo has a lot more to unpack before their time is done. No, I think you're so right about that. And it's very exciting, to be quite honest with you, uh, because Kenny Pickett, you're right. He is fearless. I was looking for the word for him, and I think that's really uh, an exceptional uh, statement about him coming from you, too, as well, brother. Well, let's keep, keep this going now. And this world of coaching, and we can go to the NFL, we can go into college football, major power. If the team's not performing well – the fans, everybody, the media is out to get them. And things are happening. When you take a look here, I could not believe this. this happened, what, a month and a half ago, a month ago? But when Matt Rule came out and they let him go after a couple of years, and he's going to get $834,000 for the next 48 months. Oh. $834,000. That's like $40 million. I don't know the, the math, but I think it's close to that, $40 million. What is going on where teams like, you know, I can think of West Virginia, you know, they're, they're, some are calling for Neil Brown's head. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, you think about this, you hear it all the time. We're, 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 we live in the real world. People are calling for coaches' heads that aren't winning. And it's just getting to be, a, you know, a big roller coaster. Go ahead, Pony. Yeah, Soda Pop. Um, Would you just take a nap, Ronnie? No, I didn't. No, I, I, I was waiting for you to jump in. Like, I, I'm sorry. I thought maybe you just took a nap for a moment. No, there. you and your toothless grin. Um, <laughs> you, you know what, Soda? I, I think of it this way. I mean, the National Football League is not college. It, it's something altogether different. It is a mercenary league. It's the height of mercenary football, as a matter of fact. And um, if an owner is so inclined to doing that, I say more power to Matt Rule, <laughs> all right, that he would be getting that kind of money for the next four years. That's the contract he signed. Um, yeah, it's, it might seem a little absurd, yet at the same time, that's the National Football League. And, um, you know, I, I never begrudge a guy for making any money on that. I don't. I, your point, I think, what you're making is why would somebody give up that early on Matt Rule totally. and his becoming a head coach? The the only thing I would say to you, Zoda Bob, is if something gets personal, now um, there is no point of return. And I'm wondering if Matt Rule got personal with ownership in any way, shape, or form. 
because sometimes that will burn a bridge more than anything else. And I don't know the particulars about cause or for cause or with cause. I, I don't know that. You'd have to talk to a lawyer looking at his contract. Yet at the same time, um, things can get personal. Human beings can get personal. And sometimes it goes past the point of no return. And sometimes basically it's not for cause, with cause, it's because you don't win. <laughs> and, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, I love that. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it, it's true. Okay. I mean, think about it. Since 1969, 53 years, the Steelers have had one, two, three head coaches. And you know how many Hall of Famers? One, two, and there will be a third with Mike Tomlin at some point in time. You know, and it's all about making sure you pick the right person. You surround that person with the right people. But then you let those people do the work and you provide the stability of leadership in the organization from an ownership standpoint. To withstand the storms, you got to know there's going to be storms. If you're going to tear up a culture of a locker room and turn things around, you ask Tony Dungy about the job he had to do down in Tampa, right? Where remember Tampa? I mean, they came into the league back in the '70s, right? And you had they were 0 and 30 or something before they won a game. And John McVay, you know, was asked after a game, said, "What do you think about your team's execution?" And he famously said, "I'm all for it." You know, I mean. <laughs> That was just one of the greatest lines ever. But stability of ownership is just as important, maybe even more so in some cases, than quality of coaching. Well, okay. Well, that's some excellent viewpoints, you know, different from what I was thinking. But I, I still think that today's day and age that there's not enough time for coaches to really develop the way they want to. That's just, that's I think point. it's just the dollars are there and just makes you got to perform right away. Hey. But I will say this: I'm open to being fired if you want to fire me for that amount of money. Hey, I'll tell you what, man. I'll tell you, I I will say this: not saying I don't admire him. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. And talking about admiring now, I was going through as I always do all the NFL teams and and college teams searching for good news, and and uh, really stuck out to me. And uh, you know, I don't know if it's because of what Dana Hogerson and Cliff Kingsbury. And I'm just a, a fan of that. But I saw Cliff, and, and this is what I saw here, Pony. And then I realized that you actually tweeted this out beforehand. But you had here a picture. Now, this picture, let me set this up here. This is Cliff Kingsbury. And he is with Team Luke Hope uh, for the Minds.org. And he donates $5,000 to uh, this organization and for every victory, every victory of the Saints. And that's really pretty amazing. And the point that I'm trying to make is in the picture, Derry, is you with Light of Life and Pony Boy, you at Phoenix uh, Children's giving out the teddy bears. And then that's me, Santa Claus, at WVU Medicine Children's. So not that this has nothing to do with us, but why is it so important for people in the position of football athletes, people with notoriety to not only give money and your time, but it's like, it's, there's something to it, man. You know, um, our brother, Tunchilkin, many years ago, pointed out to me the necessity of being involved in in the work of Light of Life, which addresses homelessness and the addiction of of people who are without any sort of uh, ability to shelter themselves. And, you know, um, I was moved when I went down there. He told me, because, you know, he, 
he was always come on down and you know once you walk through the doors of light of life it'll change your view your world view and i kept going well you know there's so many worthy charities and all of them have worth and value that you know are are, are addressing the needs of, of the people out there but homelessness doesn't or at that time back in the uh, 80s doesn't get a lot of uh you know doesn't have a lot of stuff you know people buying into it at that point in time and i i was just amazed when i had the opportunity to see what went on there and how lives were transformed through the power of jesus in their lives it was just amazing and and, and families were put back together lives were put back together and people that I met people that, you know, a guy, I'll never forget the guy who was 18 months earlier had been a CEO of a company. Now, it wasn't the biggest company, but it was a good, solid company. And I remember the conversation as he was standing there with, you know, just a bag and some things. And he goes, I never dreamed I would end up here. You know, I mean, and these type of things, man, you know, it's being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the people. Now, I know this. I don't have the skills to, to minister to those that are suffering from addiction and the mental illnesses that address are addressed by a lot of the homeless people out there, but I can help to raise money and awareness. And that is where God has put me in this to be able to, and, you know, raise money and and provide for the people that can provide housing and, and, and counseling and helping them to transform. So anytime you're pouring life into other people, I, I'm all for it, man. I mean, yeah. you know, just, just the fact that, you know, having two brothers like you, you know, and being able to converse, you pour life into me as I hope I pour life to you back because that's what it's all about. No, there's no that's doubt. Right. There, there. Only? Yeah, no, uh, Soda Pop. Um, listen, uh, the one thing I love about Chris uh, Cliff Kingsbury, and there are more than one things, but man, this guy is smart and he is humble. And I really appreciate that. A guy that is smart, and yet he is humble. And his humility gives him a grateful heart. Um, There's a lot of people, of course, that have it out for Cliff Kingsbury. They want to see him go down. They want to see him go down because he didn't do it the way that anyone else has done it, for the most part, right? The NFL Anati, I call them. The Illuminati. The NFL Anati. They want to see Cliff Kingsbury fail because he seemed to get privilege for some reason out of nowhere. And Steve Kime hired him because of Kyler Murray and the fact that they were going to draft Kyler Murray number one overall and wanted to pair him up. So there's a lot of people that want to see Cliff fail. I am not one of those people that want to see him fail. And it's because I respect the guy for being smart and being humble at the same time. That gives him that grateful heart and a grateful heart wants to give back and that's exactly what cliff kingsbury does and that's exactly what so many professional athletes do and i don't know about you guys but to craig's point i respect that so much because everything i have has been given to me by god my lord and savior everything that i have has been given to me by him and it is up to me to be his hands and his feet and share what i have and Dale, that I, I won't say anything else, but it's better to give than to receive. Even so in the trenches in the box, too, fellas. <laughs> hey, excellent yes. spring around there, man. 
That's why you're a professional, brother. I love it. All right. Well, listen, before we get to the breakdowns or what's coming up, I have one more thing I want to talk about because I've never really talked to you about this, and I'm really very interested. Now, Craig, I think you've gone to London before with the team. Uh, yeah. I called a game there. And, and Pony, you've gone to Mexico City. Maybe you've been the overseas as well. But what is your opinions of going international uh, by the player standards of the NFL, I mean, is this a good thing? Is this a crazy thing? Is this something that's just another pain in the, the players' rears? Well, what is this? Okay, for me, um, this is the future of the National Football League. Uh, we are going to Mexico City. There's no doubt we're going to play a Monday night game against the 49ers. Da, 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 da. You know, it's going to be awesome. Um, this is the future of the National Football League. What I think they're going to do is they're going to add um, one more bye week. That's what I think they're going to do. So you'll have a domestic bye, and then you'll have an international bye. And what's going to happen is when you play your international game, they'll immediately give you the next week off. So now all of a sudden, you could go to Frankfurt, Germany, if you wanted to. You could go to Sydney, Australia. If you wanted to, if you wanted to, you could go to Beijing if you wanted to and give your players the next week off and they could come home whenever they wanted to. So I think you're going to have eight home games, eight away games, and everyone's going to play one international by one international game and then have a bye week after it. Does that make sense? That's where I think the NFL is headed. Well, you know, the travel is rough. I, if I was a player, I remember when we went to London and we went there, you know, just a couple days ahead of time. Um, and I remember talking to Dave DeCastro the night, day before the game, and Dave said, I'm exhausted because his sleep, he couldn't quite get his sleep right. It was so short, you know. And I, I agree with Ronnie. This is the NFL is going there. So it's either get on board or get out. You know, I mean, that's the way it is. By the way, I wouldn't suggest going to Beijing. But anyhow, I'm the <laughs> Whoa, I wouldn't want to either. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm going to find a reason. Uh, no thanks. So anyhow, um, I look at I look at that and I go, you know what? Um, some of it is is just amazing. I mean, being in London was very cool. Being in the in the in the soccer stadium in London was just that. You talk about the best grass, fellas. Oh my goodness, you talk about that grass was. You could sleep on that stuff. It was just absolutely perfect. You know what I mean? And then, and so I, I see what's coming. You go to Mexico City. Now, I've been to Mexico City three times doing some of the Steelers stuff, you know. And, um, well, you get a little bit of touch of Montezuma's revenge. I'll tell you, it's the best weight loss stuff in the in going. <laughs> you have a little bit of the water. Look out, baby. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, it, the travel is, is something you're going to have to get used to because it is going to happen. Okay. Well, I think you're right. It's got to happen. It's happening. I think they're even going to Munich this year as well. I'd be all for going to Munich, babe. The report is that Russell Wilson, for the eight-hour plane trip over, he was doing high knees for like four of them (laughs) on the plane. I mean, I don't know. That's what uh, that's what Ozzy told me. So, well, we'll continue this out. Let's get to the actual breakdown because I want to get this in before we run out of time here at our weekly social. So, 
Pony Boy, this is off of the Wolf and Luke show. And, you know, you get uh, Cliff there. We were just talking about him. And he's going to break down the Vikings here for you a little bit. As you were studying the Minnesota Vikings and their defense, what do you see, Cliff? Uh, they're playing at a high level uh, with a lot of confidence. They're 5-1 and one for a reason. And um, they don't make many mistakes on, on that side of the ball. Great pass rushers. Uh, you know, the secondary, they play a lot of zone coverage and have eyes on the quarterback. So they're creating a lot of turnovers and um they, they they are a good team. They're one of the elite teams in the league right now. Yeah, you know what? Hey, Pony Boy, that was a very elaborate question, by the way. Yeah, right. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate that. Well, you know what? I wanted to know what he was seeing on tape, of course. And it's interesting. I do believe this is the only time you might hear me say this, but I do believe the team that throws the ball the best is going to win this game. <laughs> I really do believe that. Um, look, the Arizona Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins back, uh, their offense is really about throwing the ball. It is. Now, they run the ball. They do. I don't want to make it sound like they don't, especially when James Conner is healthy. They pound the football, and they do it in between the tackles. But this offense is about throwing the ball. And with D-Hop back, and now you got Robbie Anderson, the speed guy they picked up, of course, from the Carolina Panthers and that fire sale that's going on there. They got him over the top now that Hollywood Brown has been placed on IR and won't be back for some games yet. Um, The team that throws the ball the best is probably going to win this game because The Vikings secondary is number 28 in passing yards per game allowed and number 32 in passing yards per play allowed. They are giving up chunks of yardage when you throw the ball and their secondary has really, really struggled. Well, if you flip it over and you look at the Arizona Cardinals, even though their defense has been the surprise of this year, um, they have also been torched in their secondary from time to time. They've given up an awful lot of yards as well. And Kirk Cousins is a guy that um, posts a lot of big numbers, as we know. Um, Sometimes he has a problem playing on prime time, uh, doesn't seem to do well, doesn't play in pressure pack situations from time to time. But he will post some numbers. And anytime you got Justin Jefferson on one side and Adam Thielen on the other, And then you've got Delvin Cook as your running back. There are weapons for the Minnesota Vikings, yet I still think it's going to come down to the quarterback that protects the ball and throws the ball the best wins this game. And you like that. You like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, I can't stand saying that. I can't stand it. You know hey. I love the bloody knuckles in the game of football. Oh, I know that. But I, I was just doing a little – I was throwing a little shade with Kirk uh, – you know, uh, Kirk, what's his name on there? With you. I knew exactly what you were doing, and you did it well, my brother. Well, thank <laughs> you. Okay. Okay. Talk about throwing some shade now. Throw some shade here about uh, – for the battle of the state of Pennsylvania there, brother Derry. Pittsburgh, Philly. Yeah, we have the Primanti sandwich, which is far better than the cheesesteak hoagie. Oh, I just promised you, okay? That's what the battle's all about. Okay, so we got a football game to play. But, you know, if you really want to know, Primanti sandwiches, just blow away the cheesesteak hoagie. Just, I'm just putting it out there for you, okay? But, yeah, we got to go to Philly. It's going to be a tough battle. Jalen Hurts is playing so very well. Thrown six TD passes. He's run for six TDs. This guy is another one of those 
threats, uh, somewhat similar to Lamar Jackson. He's a guy that, you know, is uh, very, very accurate with the ball. He's, he's just developed into being that quarterback they thought he could be. They got a massive left side of an offensive line with, with uh, Mylotta and the left guard. I can't even remember his name now, but they're, they're, Mylotta is six foot eight, 365 pounds. I mean, he's bigger than any Yokozuna's this side of, of Japan. All right, you know, the sumo guys. I mean, he's just just huge. And, you know, I, I laugh because people say, you know, light guys can't play. You got Jordan, uh, Jason Kelsey playing the center, you know, 12-year veteran. He's 295. I mean, he looks like a midget compared to Mylotta and some of the other guys out there. And yet this guy plays at such a high level. He's so very good at, at, at what he does as being the center there. And then you've got some wide receivers. You got defense. I mean, Gadzooks, they're, they're six and zero. They're playing great. They got the, they're plus twelve. I mean, plus twelve. You know, plus minus. They're not the be all end all, but it tells you generally the overall state and health of the opposition or your or where you are as an offensive and defensive unit. And and the Steelers were at minus two. And you right here, you got plus twelve with the Philly Eagles. These guys can play ball. Yeah, no doubt. For me, it's you got to establish the running game Steelers. Get that running game going. Help Kenny pick it out because he could do some good things if it's not thrown on his shoulders completely. So that's just my viewpoint. That's coming from this one-third of the Wolves. Okay, one-third coming from here. Uh, five standard from here in Morgantown, West Virginia. And uh, my brothers, I love you so much. You, you came through once again. You didn't suck tonight. And, you know, again, <laughs> the check is still coming in the mail. Don't worry. It'll get there. Uh, I just want to ask one question. The entire the t- entire time we've been on here, has Ronnie's hair moved at all? I don't think it's moved. Not one. Not one well, little bit of hair. Well, go ahead, buddy. What's your good response to him? I'm not going to say anything, but, you know, I mean, uh, I sprayed it. Yeah, I did. I had to. You know, I care there about go. Uh, the fact that I got a clock over the back of my head. Well, speaking in the manner we're going to close this down here, I will say this. You didn't use any hairspray as your original greaser. <laughs> Boy, there's a partner shot. Oh, love you guys, I'm man. Here. Let's have a, let's have a great here. week. Let's go Steelers. Let's go Cars. I'll even throw the Mountaineers in there, even though they're a little bit of trouble. But let's go, go man. And uh, let's give it Q's. Q's lost. So let's get them going back on track. Absolutely. All right, so, all right fellas. Love you, man. Have a great love you, bros. week. Bro, I love you, brothers.